Welcome to the Captain Paul Watson Foundation podcast. I'm your host, Charlie. I'm joined today with Captain Paul Watson. Paul, I was wondering if you might be able to fill us in a little bit on the beached whale situation in France. Over the last uh, month, there's been a, a number of uh, whales stranded on the beaches uh, in Brittany. Uh, two had died, and uh, then we got a call that there was one that was on the beach. So uh, Lamia was able to get down there. She called the minister for the sea and uh, got him on the line, and he gave her authorization to do whatever needed to do. And so they got excavators in a backhoe down there to dig a trench to the sea, and they were able to get the whale back into the into the water, but it kept coming back, and uh, they kept uh, putting a, an inflatable boat between the shore and the whale to keep it going. And finally, it disappeared. But then, a week later, was washed up on another beach. So what we're figuring what's going on is their, you know, their ability to navigate is being compromised by low frequency uh, testing by uh, the French Navy not too far away. And uh, so, you know, it's just more than a, it's more than just a coincidence that three whales, there's actually four now, four whales would be washed up on and die on the beaches in Brittany. But they did everything they could to uh, to rescue this one. But uh, I think that it must have done some permanent damage to the ability to, to navigate. And unfortunately, another sad news, Paul, I wanted to ask you because I saw, unfortunately, that Dave Foreman um, had passed away, and I know that he wrote the foreword to your book, Earth Force. And I know that, you know, he, he mentioned in the foreword that you're one of his heroes. And so I was wondering if you might be able to talk a little bit about Dave. Well, I met Dave in the uh, early 80s. He, he, along with a couple of others, founded the uh, founded Earth First. And uh, we used to, we spent time together. Uh, we used to say that Sea Shepherd was a Navy to Bert and Earth First was the Army. Uh, but uh, he did. Uh, he wrote uh, Field Guide to Monkey Wrenching, and uh, and then he left uh, Earth First to set up uh, the Rewelding Institute, and uh, spent the rest of his life uh, finding ways to, you know, to get wilderness areas revived and to get wildlife to move in there to protect indigenous wildlife. Uh, so he did a lot of incredible work uh, during during his lifetime. He's an incredible speaker, and uh, always. Uh, you know, he just he, he he was to the environmental movement. Well, you know, uh, sort of the equivalent to a, an evangelical preacher in a tent, you know, the way wow. <laughs> that's how, uh, how he would rev up the crowd and everything. So, yeah, he's a great guy. And uh, so he passed away uh, earlier in the well, in September, not too long ago. Well, the world lost a true eco warrior and our thoughts go out to his uh, friends and family for sure. Paul, I, I did want to ask you about uh, any news going on at the foundation that you might be able to share with us. You know, I'm really concerned about Antarctica and, uh, you know, the things that are going on down. There's a lot of poaching down there. Uh, there's uh, they're doing massive harvesting of krill, you know, to find, and what, what they what they do with the krill is just turn it into a protein paste for uh, for to feed to domestic li animals, livestock, and that. And uh, an incredible waste. There's really no ecological impact studies done on what the impact that is. But, uh, you know, that, that is a real concern. Also, uh, industrialized fishing transshipment uh, at sea, uh, turtle poaching. There's so many things that uh, we have to address. The important thing is, is that we have to continue on with uh, uh, this direct action approach, uh, this approach 
approach which I developed 45 years ago, which I call aggressive nonviolence. That is, we're going to be aggressive. We're not going to hurt anybody, but we have to intervene and we have to shut down these illegal operations. Paul, is there any other news that our supporters should know about? Anything else going on that you'd like to talk about? Well, it's important that we keep the pressure on in the Faroe Islands, and uh, we, you know, we're going to work. We're working on this book on, uh, you know, the history of the the, in, the interventions in the Faroe Islands. But also, there's um, there's always a crew there. Uh, people come from Europe primarily. Uh, a lot of people from Denmark, and uh, to go there and to uh, you know to watch what's going on and try to see what we can do to intervene. The the great thing about the Faroe Islands. Uh, uh, as far as uh, progressing is that when we first went there many years ago, there was nobody on our side in the Faroes. And now about 45% of the people in the Faroes are against the killing of the whales. And we actually have Faroese who are working with us. So we've, we've come a long way there. That's wonderful. Yeah, but it's a long way still to go. It's just like the dolphin kill in Taiji, Japan. You know, we did shut down years ago, the dolphin kill in Iki Island. And we thought that, you know, we could do the same here, but, these communities tend to be extremely insulated and very, very stubborn. So, you know, you just have to keep the pressure on. The The key is to just not give up. So I wanted to ask you, too, uh, about any current books. You mentioned uh, the one Pharaoh book. Are there any other uh, books that people can check out that you've uh, recently written or that you plan on writing? Well, we did a children's book that was published uh, in August, and it's now available called We Are the Ocean. And uh, it's, you know, designed for the kindergarten age school children. And uh, it's doing quite well. Uh, and, uh, you know, the book's available in, in my shop. It's also a book available on Amazon and in bookstores. And, uh, I, you know, I think children's books have always been very valuable. And uh, so we're really pleased with the, the way this one's being received. Oh, that's, a, that's wonderful. Yeah, it's, it's very important that we try to get kids involved as soon as possible in saving the oceans. Are there any um, upcoming speaking events, uh, much like the Ohana Festival that you just did? Are there any other events coming down the pike for you that people could see you talk? On October 20th and 21st, I'll be at the uh, Friday Harbor uh, Film Festival. And there'll be, a sh- there'll be two showings of, the, of Leslie Chilcott's film, Watson. Mm. And I'll be speaking at that. Okay, wonderful. It was great hearing from Paul. Um, Always a pleasure talking to him, and I hope that uh, he can keep moving forward with building up the foundation so that we can help as many different uh, marine organisms as possible. But, you know, it's funny because Paul mentioned uh, when we were speaking with him about the Southern Ocean and uh, the the krill, which are being harvested, um, and it ties into a paper that I recently read. Uh, this was a scientific report. I'm not sure if it has been peer-reviewed yet, so I did want to throw that out there. But the, the title of this report is called The Collapse and Recovery of Carbon Sequestration by Baleen Whales in the Southern Ocean. And there's a, a few authors here, um, uh, Anel Dufort, Gail Mariani, Mark Trousselier, uh, Vivitskaya Tulloch and David Muyo. I apologize if I haven't pronounced their names right. Um, my understanding of French pronunciation uh, comes from uh, French, uh, French-Canadian hockey players. So I <laughs> did the best I can there. But so, so these authors, um, 
speak about uh, five different species of baleen whale in the Southern Ocean. And really their, their study looks at uh, the ability of these whales to act as natural climate solutions in themselves. Because as these whales live their lives, they are helping uh, sequester carbon out of the atmosphere. Uh, the authors note uh, that since 1950, there has been a 40% decline in phytoplankton. And as we know, phytoplankton uh, makes about 70% of the world's oxygen. So we know phytoplankton are very important. Well, the whales have a role in phytoplankton because whale species uh, help fuel phytoplankton growth down in the Southern Ocean. And what fuels the whales? Well, whales are eating krill. And so, as you can see, if we don't protect the food source of the whales, then we are inhibiting the whale's ability to fertilize the Southern Ocean and cause these phytoplankton blooms, which are so important, not just to the ecosystems in the Southern Ocean, but to the Earth as a whole. So, again, these authors, they, they focused on five different types of baleen whales, and what they looked at, and, and again, you know, look, they, they did their best. They used different models to try to understand, well, how much carbon were these five different species of whales able to sequester before whaling uh, occurred? And so they estimated that these whales could sequester about 10.6 million tons of carbon per year. After whaling this amount went from 10.6 down to 2 million tons, right? So we go from 10.6 to 2. The authors um, later estimate that um, if we can reduce the impacts of climate change and obviously protect whales and their food sources, then we might be able to get the whales back to a place where they could sequester 8.7 million tons. And so, you know, to take a step back, why do we want to sequester more carbon? Well, as we know, uh, we are pumping a lot of greenhouse gases, CO2, uh, into the atmosphere. And if that goes unchecked, then our planet is going to continue to warm. Uh, the Paris Agreements of uh, 2015, uh, many countries agreed that they were going to try to keep global warming down to uh, below plus 2 Celsius uh, which is about three and a half degrees Fahrenheit. So that's their target is they're, they're trying to keep it down there. But if we don't uh, minimize our emissions, then we're not going to get there. So, so let's talk more about the whales that they studied. Um, they looked at the blue whale, the fin whale, the minke whale, the humpback whale, and the southern right whale. Now, you know, whaling uh, has been responsible for reducing some whale populations by 70%. And in the case of the blue and the fin or the southern right whale, it reduced their population 99.5% uh, from where it was before whaling became a thing. So, you know, these, these whale populations have been decimated. What is interesting is that there, there are two pathways for whales to help uh, sequester carbon, right? And one of those pathways is just by, you know, whales and their biomass eating, eating food like krill, like other uh, planktonic organisms. And so they sequester the carbon in their bodies. And then when they die a natural death, that carbon, which is in their body, 
sinks down to the bottom of the ocean and potentially is a food source for uh, abyssal ecosystems where whale carcasses are, are really important. So, so there's some capture of carbon, right, that, that gets you know, pushed down to the abysses of the ocean. And so, as you can imagine, uh, blue whales and fin whales, would, being larger whales, would, would play a bigger role in, in that pathway for sequestering carbon. But the other pathway, and the one that is, you know, uh, more productive, is, as I mentioned before, whales um, fertilize the oceans uh, with their feces. And, you know, what's interesting is this stimulates phytoplankton production. And so, and so the phytoplankton then are using, right, CO2, because as we all know from our uh, biology class in, in middle school and, and high school, that you know, photosynthesis um, uses CO2 as part of that process. And so these phytoplankton are using photosynthesis to uh, you know, create energy. And so when they're, when they're doing this, it's, it's helping sequester some of that excess carbon that we've released. So now, now some of the phytoplankton, you know, after they bloom, right, and they're at the surface of the water, some of them will float down and sink and die into the deep ocean, just like the whale carcass does, right? So that's a way to sequester carbon. But what the other thing that's important is that for the whales then to, you know, have the, the feces that is the fertilizer for the phytoplankton, a lot of them rely on krill as a primary food source, and krill is an iron accumulator. And iron are, is one of those limiting uh, nutrients that uh, is needed by the phytoplankton to bloom. So phytoplankton growth is, is limited by nitrogen, phosphorus, but especially iron. And so krill accumulate iron. And so then when the whales eat the krill, uh, they are, you know, locking up that, that source that the phytoplankton need. And then when they, you know, uh, go to the bathroom, uh, they, at the surface, they are providing um, that fertilizer. So, you know, you can see this cycle and you can also see how delicate the cycle is. Now, let's imagine then that there are ships down in the Southern Ocean, which using human technology are decimating krill populations. Well, that's going to have a ripple effect throughout the whole food chain, throughout the whole ecosystem. And not just the food chain, but let's extrapolate it more. Now we're talking about atmospheric uh, issues because now we're not being able to sequester as much carbon as we were before. So I guess the point here is, is that you know everything has its purpose and everything has its place in the ecosystem. And anything that we do to disrupt that is going to have... Uh, drastic changes. One of the things that I wanted to jump back to too, as I you know mentioned talking about whaling, is that you know before there were more blue whales and fin whales in our oceans than there are now, and southern right whales, and because they have um, you know they take longer to breed, right? Um, it it takes their populations more time to recover. Well, uh, whales like the minke whale, which aren't quite as big, uh, they're able to reproduce faster. And so, whereas in the past, minke whales only accounted for 8% of the carbon sequestration, meaning like prior to whaling, minke whales were 8%. 
from 1959, and the authors here project out to the year 2100, minke whales will represent 66% of carbon sequestration, uh, and that's taking into account climate change. Climate change is going to cause whales' behaviors to, to change in a, in a negative way. And the authors uh, talk specifically about krill um, because they say that the recovery of whale populations and of the carbon pump, and, and the carbon pump is just that cycle I was talking about where um, you know the, the phytoplankton are able to take in the carbon from the atmosphere and the whales are providing the fertilizer, so you know it's a big loop. But um, the changes in the abundance and distribution of krill uh, will change due to uh, primary productivity patterns in the Southern Ocean. And krill is expected to contract southward due to temperature changes. So, you know, because we're causing the oceans to get warmer, the krill is then going to shift its pattern. And by shifting its pattern, certain whale species are going to maybe do better and certain whale species are going to do worse. But right now, because we decimated these other whale populations through whaling, now minke whales are, are making up a bigger um, portion of the carbon sequestration cycle than they used to before. And, you know, Paul's mentioned this many times, but diversity is so important to the stability of an ecosystem. It's, you know, if you study... Um, you know, any kind of ecology, it's one of the things that you're going to read up about. And it's so true. Um, we, we're limiting the amount of diversity we have in our oceans. And because of that, our, our oceans are becoming more unstable. So we need to protect everything that we have. Now, you know, keep in mind that, that this, this study, you know, they only focused on these five different whales. Well, we know there's a lot, there's many different whales in the ocean, more than just these five. So, you know, you have to understand that what, what these authors are talking about is, you know, a thumbnail sketch of the overall impact, right? I mean, there's going to be, you know, all these different whales are providing services for the for the ecosystems where they live. And, and we all know too, that whales are great. You know, they go on great migrations too. So, you know, um, whales go to Hawaii, right. To have their calves. And so that impacts the ecosystem here. And so if we, if we take whales away from one ecosystem, it doesn't mean that it doesn't have a ripple effect across the ocean because it does. Um, you know, and I, I think too, the other thing that the authors point out here is that if we don't curb climate change ourselves, then it will have a deleterious uh, impact on the whales and their ability to recover and also their ability to participate in this carbon sequestration, right? The more healthy the whale populations are, the more that they can do what they do and fertilize our oceans, then the more likely they are to be an effective natural climate solution. And that's what we're trying to get to. You know, it, it's going to take all the different components of our earth for it to heal itself. But it won't be able to heal itself if we can't stop messing with it, <laughs> to put it bluntly. Um, the authors estimate that if we allow whales to reproduce and live in peace, by 2100, they can compensate for 2.1% of the emissions that occur from our transportation. And that's also given that our transportation emissions are going to drop dr dramatically, which hopefully they will with, with new technology. 
Um, and, and if, and if we can, then, then these whales are contributing to helping us fix our own mistakes. So, you know, I just, I just wanted to, to talk about that a little bit because, you know, Paul's mentioned this in the first uh, podcast and, and then in this one, he mentioned krill and it's all tied together and it's also important. So, um, you know, feel free to, to check out that by, you know, by yourself too, if you'd like to read it, it was a good read. You can read the abstract, um, and just get a gist of what these authors were trying to do. Um, again, the title of this is the collapse and recovery potential of carbon sequestration by baleen whales in the Southern ocean. And I think it's a worthwhile read. Um, if you would like to help the Captain Paul Watson Foundation, please do go to his website, paulwatsonfoundation.org. Uh, there's different ways to help. Um, certainly, uh, as Paul keeps um, going and building the foundation, there will be even more opportunities to help. As he mentioned uh, today, long-term, uh, he will be looking for volunteers to be on the ships. So if that's something that you're excited about and you want to help, uh, please keep checking back to the website. I'm sure once that is a go, uh, there will be an announcement made. Um, and also, you know, Paul mentioned other areas of the world, the Faroe Islands um, and the Southern Ocean. But, you know, any way that we can to put pressure on some of these places to stop killing whales and stop killing marine life. Uh, it, it, every little bit counts. Every drop counts. Every organism that we save matters. Um, so, you know, look, do what you can and just know that Captain Watson, uh, I know he's working tirelessly day and night. Uh, he and his team, um, there's a lot of people behind the scenes that are working very hard. And um, I'm really excited about what we're going to be able to accomplish, hopefully, um, in, in the short term, in the next few years. I think it'll be great. So with that, uh, I, I appreciate y'all listening and we will be checking in with Paul Watson again soon. So please do um, look for our next uh, podcast where you can get uh, basically, you know, uh, the latest and greatest about, you know, what Paul is, is working on and what Paul's thinking. If the oceans die, we die.